Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me in the betters box. This is bangthebook.com's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, August 20th. I am your host, Adam Burke. This and every edition of the betters box presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Daily Picks and Tips piece goes up, well, every day, over at bangthebook.com. May have a couple of days coming up here where the article will be a little bit shorter or maybe not have one coming up on a very busy week and a half for me. So going to try to do everything I can here to get that article out to you in its regular format. If not, maybe I'll just highlight some of the games that I do like on the card. Or there may be a couple of days here and there where I don't get it out. But you know, for the most part, you can get that Daily Picks and Tips piece every day over at bangthebook.com to go along with all of our other great content over at the website nba nhl playoffs golf in the fedex cup playoffs now nascar the playoff chase is on over there ufc we got a lot of stuff going on over at the website and obviously here too you know i haven't done a whole lot with football to this point in time but doing a lot with baseball and all the other sports betting markets that are out there Football's coming around. College football, we'll see what happens with that. NFL seems to be good to go. Limited number of cases here so far. They'll start September 10th. So we'll start rolling out some more football content over at the website here as well. And speaking of football, if you want to sign up for the Circa Million, the Circa Survivor, the Westgate Super Contest, any of the other football contests that are out in Las Vegas, and you live outside of the state of Nevada, You have to sign up in person, and you need a proxy, an approved proxy, to put in picks for you. Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com get the seal of approval from us. They've done a phenomenal job with our entries over the last several years. Uh, If we get into the contest this year, they'll do a phenomenal job for us. But even if we don't, you still can. And there's a big overlay in both Circa contests. You want to take a look at those if you've got the opportunity to head out to Las Vegas and get signed up. And if you do that, get on the same page with Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com. They've been great proxies for us. They will be for you as well. So with this Thursday edition of the show here, we'll start with a look beyond the box score, go down the lines in which I'll give you a pick for Thursday night, then take a look at four series coming up here for the weekend ahead. So let's start with a look beyond the box score and One thing I just want to mention here very quickly, and obviously, uh, you know, I had some takes on Twitter about this and got quite a bit of positive feedback for them. The Fernando Tatis Jr. incident earlier on in the week hits a grand slam up by six on a 3-0 count. Look, why do you gift a strike 3-0? I mean, swing the bat 3-0. Don't give someone a free strike. I don't care what the score of the game is. You keep playing. How many times in baseball this year have we seen a five or more run inning? And all of a sudden, you know, you take a game that should be a laugher and it becomes a relatively close game. You know, I just, I don't understand why anyone would take offense to something like that here because look, we've seen major comebacks. We've seen major bullpen blowups. I mean, my Indians team, we all remember that big comeback, you know, back in 2001, where they were down 14-2, to two, came back and won the game. These things happen. They do. 
You get these big comebacks. And if you have the chance to add on, you damn well better do it. We've seen 76 innings here so far this season with five or more runs. We've seen a 10-run inning. We've seen multiple nine-run innings. We've seen multiple seven-run innings, multiple six-run innings. Why does there need to be some sort of unwritten rule that you can't add on to your lead? And people call it running up the score. No, it's not. It's doing what you can to increase your win probability. You know, and people will say, oh, well, you know, you don't see teams running it up in basketball or running it up in football. Football has a clock. Basketball has a clock. You are limited in terms of the comeback you can actually have because you run out of time. In Major League Baseball, you've got three outs. And whatever you do leading up to that third out, that's all fair game. There's no time limit in Major League Baseball. So you score as many runs as you possibly can to put that game away. And again, we've seen a lot of crooked number innings this year. So I'm glad that for the most part, Twitter was almost universally in favor of swinging 3-0 because when you talk about social media, there's usually nothing that winds up being universal. But a lot of players came out and said they were in favor of it, ex-players, current players, everything like that. I think it's embarrassing the way that his manager... Jace Tingler handled it. I think Chris Woodward deserves credit for, you know, being upset the night of for his team, but coming back the next day and saying, you know what, maybe the game has changed, you know, stuff like that. Said all the right things to kind of smooth it over some. But I love Tatis. Then he steals third base up 6 nothing the next day. Pimps a home run the day after that. Give me more of that. That's what I want with these star players in Major League Baseball. There have been too many stars in baseball over the last several years that they they don't have personalities. You can't grow the game around some of these guys. Give me a guy that's an asshole. Give me a guy that's outspoken. Give me a guy that people either love or hate. Give me a guy where there is no in-between. You know, there aren't people that are like, yeah, he's okay. That guy's a dick. Or, man, I love that guy. That's what I want. Major League Baseball needs more of that. What made the 90s so good outside of the rampant drug use, there were personalities, man. There were guys that they'd hit a tank off of you and stare you down. They'd bat flip to the moon. You know, guys, and and, okay, fine. They'd get thrown at. and, And I think baseball should have evolved past that, especially with guys throwing so much harder today than ever before. But Man, give me personality. Give me guys that you can build marketing campaigns around. Give me guys that love them or hate them are going to incite some kind of reaction. I love Fernando Tatis Jr. now. I mean, I always knew about the talent level, but I love the swagger. I love the confidence. If you can do it, do it. It's not like he teed off on something dead center and yanked it down the line and, you know, all that. I mean, he took a low away fastball Drove it oppo. I mean, that's just a great piece of hitting from a standout player. I have no idea why this was met with so much vitriol, but it was. And hopefully when this happens again in the future, because it will, uh, people wise up a little bit about their takes on it. The people that had a dissenting opinion, I guess I should say. So I want to take a look here at base runs on today's show. And if you're a longtime listener of the Better's Box You already know about base runs, but this is a standings metric over at Fangraphs. Now, the concept with base runs is this. 
If you think about an inning that goes single, single home run, strikeout, 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 that's three runs scored. Two singles, a three-run homer, and then three strikeouts. But if you get an inning that goes strikeout, strikeout, home run, single, single, strikeout, that's one run. The same six outcomes, just in a different sequential order, can have a major impact on a game. Again, in the first example, you hit that three-run homer. In the second example, you hit a solo shot with two outs, get a couple of hits, then strike out to end the inning. So what base runs does is it takes all of that context out of the equation. It's a context-neutral environment for runs scored and runs allowed based on all of the individual outcomes that a team has over the course of a season. Because sequencing matters. Sequencing matters a lot. You think about a team, let's say a team hits three solo home runs and the other team hits one home run but hits a couple of bases loaded doubles, the team that hit more home runs is going to lose. So what base runs attempts to do is take the context out of it and just look at each individual outcome and say, here are the expected runs scored. Here are the expected runs allowed. And where is this team at that point in time based on run differential, then using Pythagorean win-loss to calculate the win-loss record? So base runs can have a lot of value in terms of looking at teams that are overachieving or underachieving simply based on how their outcomes are falling. You know, teams that do really well with runners in scoring position may not be that good of an offense, but they're just getting hits at the right time. Meanwhile, pitching staffs may just be getting their outs at the wrong times. You know, may not be getting those key outs with the bases loaded, runners on second and third, something like that. So base runs takes that sequencing out of the equation. And look, you know, obviously some teams probably will perform better with runners in scoring position than others. Teams that strike out less, put more balls in play, stuff like that. Pitching staffs that have fewer strikeouts, they may struggle with men in scoring position, things of that sort. So there are obviously caveats to this, as there are with all baseball statistics. But base runs takes the context out of it to look at, how teams are doing overall, you know, based on their individual outcomes, where should they be? So I'll illustrate this point a little bit further here, because keep in mind, we've almost reached the midpoint of this 60-game season. There are some teams that have played, you know, 13 games or 18 games because of COVID, but there are other teams that have already played 26 of their 60 games for this sprint. So I thought it was a good time to take a look here at some of the base runs outliers. Now, some teams don't have any difference. You know, based on their adjusted win-loss record from base runs, they may be exactly where they should be or a game or so away from where they should be. I don't look at teams like that. I look at the outliers. And we start with the Los Angeles Angels. They are minus four in base runs record. They should be, according to base runs, a 12-13 and team. But they are actually an 8-17 and 17 team. They have a minus 24 run differential on the year, but according to base runs, again, taking the context out of it, they should have a minus 7 run differential, which is why they should be a team much closer to 500. Now, according to base runs, again, taking the context out, just looking at the individual outcomes and aggregating those together, the Angels should have scored 4.75 runs per game 
but they've only scored 4.6 runs per game. Now, the big difference is in terms of runs allowed. They've allowed 5.56 runs per game. It should be 5.04. Another team here is the Cincinnati Reds. They are minus three in base runs. They should be 13 and nine, but they're actually only 10 and 12. Their base runs run differential should be plus 22. Their actual run differential is minus five. So this is a Reds team that has scored 4.36 runs per game, but should be at 4.81 and has allowed 4.59 runs per game, should be at 3.82. So when you look at the Angels, a lot of this has to do with the fact that they've drawn a lot of walks, but they've done very little with the walks. So that's why their run scoring is down a little bit from where it should be. They've gotten base runners. They've just squandered those opportunities. Now with the runs allowed, part of this is because their bullpen's not very good. Another part of it is because they've had some decent strikeout numbers from the pitchers, but they've given up a few too many home runs or you know haven't gotten the strikeouts at the right times, stuff like that. Now with the Reds, they're, they've got this big gap in runs allowed per game. They've allowed 4.59, should be 3.82. Their starters have racked up a ton of strikeouts. So this is all about the bullpen and the fact that the bullpen has a very low left on base percentage as a unit. So when you start looking at these teams that are in line for positive or negative regression, base runs can kind of be a starting point for you. Then you can dig a little bit deeper and find out the reasons why. For the Reds, again, they've got massive strikeout totals. They've struck out a lot of batters. But the bullpen hasn't been able to strand runners. They've had some issues with that. Uh, Some of their starters have had problems the third time through, things of that sort. But their bullpen is a big factor here, and a big reason why the Reds are underachieving right now relative to their base runs record. No other team in baseball is greater than minus two in terms of base runs record versus actual record. Just the Angels at minus four and the Reds at minus three. Now, there are three teams that are on the plus side. They are overachieving in terms of their base runs record. The A's are one of them. The A's are plus three. They should be 14 and 11 according to base runs, but they're actually 17 and eight. They are plus 17 or plus 27, excuse me, in run differential, but base run says they should be plus 15. So they've scored 5.04 runs per game, should be at 4.86. They've allowed 3.96 runs per game, should be at 4.26. So the A's, what's the difference for them? Two things. One, the bullpen is elite. They've got the best bullpen in Major League Baseball. When that's the case, You can win low-scoring, close games. So for the A's here, their bullpen is obviously a weapon, is obviously a factor, and also they've had several walk-off wins this year. They've hit some home runs in the ninth inning, either to tie games or go ahead and win them. So they've had some situations in the late-game context in high-leverage spots where they've just had really positive outcomes. And that's an outcome that happens in the first or second inning Maybe it makes a difference in that game. And again, base runs doesn't take into account the inning, doesn't take into account the situation of who's on base, which bases they occupy, stuff like that. 
It simply looks at all of the individual outcomes to find out who is overachieving and who is underachieving. And for right now, the A's are a little bit of an overachiever. Another team, another team with an excellent bullpen is the Tampa Bay Rays. They're also plus three in base runs. According to base runs, they should be 13 and 12, but they're actually 16 and nine, plus 21 in run differential. According to base runs, they should be plus eight. This is another team where they've allowed 4.4 runs per game, but base runs based on the individual outcomes says they should have allowed 4.8 runs per game. So that's where you get the difference here with Tampa Bay. And again, a big part of this is their bullpen is just really, really good. Also, you had the starters kind of getting brought along a little bit slowly at the outset of the year. Tyler Glasnow's walked a bunch of guys, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, you can get to an individual level on a player's standpoint, but when you look at these outliers here, the idea is you're looking for teams that have overachieved or underachieved, so you would look for some regression to the mean out of them. For example, the A's maybe don't win as many close games here coming up. Or the Rays, same thing for them. What about the Diamondbacks? They're also plus three in base runs record here. They should be 10 and 15, but they're actually 13 and 12. They have a minus seven run differential, but according to base runs, they should have a minus 32 run differential. The Diamondbacks have scored 4.8 runs per game. Base runs says it should be 4.49. They've allowed 5.08 runs per game. Base runs said it sh- says it should be 5.76. So the Diamondbacks are greatly overachieving on the pitching side, where their pitching staff has actually been worse based on base runs than the actual outcomes. So what do you do with something like this? Well, to me, I look at it and say, okay, maybe the Diamondbacks are an over team coming up here because their pitching staff is overachieving by a great deal. It's also a Diamondbacks team that you know had a big showcase at Coors Field that really kind of overshadowed a lot of their offensive struggles. So those three games kind of propped them up a little bit to where it made their offense look a little bit better than it actually is. Also, Arizona, despite having a pretty bad bullpen, is 6-1 and one in one-run games. And this is another standings factor that you want to consider. Teams that are really good in one-run games generally regress to the mean a little bit. A lot of times, teams will be plus or minus three games with their one-run games record, plus or minus three wins or losses. The Diamondbacks are already 6-1, and one, and they don't have a great bullpen to begin with. So that's why the Diamondbacks are a little bit of an overachiever here at this point in time. So when you look at the discrepancy between actual record and base runs, what does it mean? What are the causes? Why does this happen? Bullpens are a big part of it. They are a huge part of it. The Angels and the Reds don't have great bullpens. The A's and Rays do. The Diamondbacks don't but they're six and one and one run games. Defense can also be a factor. You know, if you've got, you know, if you play a little bit of a defensive format with men on base, something like that, you know, more aggressive outfield shifting, things of that sort, maybe you can have more advantages. You can overachieve a little bit more just based on either having a good defense or planning the defense well. Also, simple luck. 
sequencing. Good luck with men in scoring position in high leverage situations will cause you to win games. Base runs takes that context out of it because look, there's nothing that says that that's a repeatable skill. Hitting with runners in scoring position has virtually no correlation year over year. The only correlation is if you're a good team, you're probably good all the time offensively. That's the only correlation. Statistically speaking, there is no correlation with performance with runners in scoring position year over year. So base runs kind of adds that element to it as well. So again, we're not talking about substantial outliers. By the end of a full of a full season, we'll see teams that are you know plus plus or minus seven, plus or minus nine, something like that. I know it's a little bit of an advanced concept here, but again, you will find some of these situations where teams are overachieving or underachieving by such a great deal that we do see line moves on them out there in the marketplace. One thing I will give Arizona a lot of credit for so far this year to be 13 and 12 is pretty good because they've played 23 of 25 games against teams 500 or better. On the flip side, the A's have played 17 of their games against teams with losing records and they're 13 and four in those. So the A's, if they step up in class a little bit, may run into a little bit of trouble. But of course, this year, the AL West with the Astros down, uh, the Rangers, you know, not getting any offense. The Mariners are down. You know, the A's just, they don't play a very challenging schedule. And the Angels, of course, off to that very, very bad start. Also, Pythagorean win-loss, a standings metric based on run differential. There are no teams more than plus or minus two games at this point in time. So I don't need to talk about that. But it is something that I usually do talk about over the course of a full season. By my count, by the way, we've had 94 games. And with a one-run decision here so far, I don't have anything about you know favorites or underdogs in one-run games. But you know, 94 games here so far being decided by one run. Uh, let's take a look real quickly here from the Killer Sports database at favorites. Favorites are 213 and 111 this season. And the over-under, how about this? Two suspended games that counted for the money line, but didn't count for totals here so far. Totals, 155 overs, 155 unders, 12 pushes on the season so far. So the odds makers making good adjustments to the dead ball early on, now making some good adjustments with the livelier baseball. Also, the livelier baseball kind of evening up the score because we had a lot of unders early on in the year. Now we're seeing a few more overs. We talked a lot, and we have talked a lot on this show, about favorites of minus 180 or higher. Those favorites are 51 and 31 this season, 62.2%. But if you're $100 better, those favorites are down almost $1,600. So the big favorite trend has not worked so far this season. That being said, since August 12th, big favorites of minus 180 or higher are 21 and 5. So they were 30 and 26 up until August 12th. They're 21 and 5 since then. So the big favorites are starting to figure it out. Bad teams are starting to kind of see where they stand a little bit. Uh, we are seeing the big gap between aces and non-aces now that everyone's kind of into mid-season form. So this trend appears to be going in a profitable direction. Again, 21 and 5 since August 12th with the big favorites. So if you've had success 
with the big underdogs here so far, that may be going away a little bit based on this current trend that we're seeing. So that is something that you may want to factor into the equation. The Down the Line segment here, we take a look at some line moves dating back to Tuesday. We'll also take a look at some for today. Looking at Tuesday and Wednesday, the market feels like Oakland is overvalued. Now, again, as I mentioned, they are plus three in base runs, and there are some people in the modeling and quant crowds that do look at base runs record. We'll look at things like third-order win percentage of baseball prospectus, stuff like that, to try and isolate some teams to fade, some teams that are getting a little bit too big for their britches. And right now, the market believes that the A's are overvalued. Now, this may also be a belief that they're going to regress to the mean a little bit, but they have big prices out there in the marketplace. Saw some anti-Frankie Montas sentiment on Tuesday. Saw some money against Jesus Lazardo on Wednesday. And that was with Merrill Kelly. And Merrill Kelly is a massive regression candidate with a lower ERA, a higher FIP, tons of hard contact. He's generally the type of guy the market would want to go against. But that didn't happen on Wednesday because the thought was at the A's price was already a little bit too high. So we'll see what happens going forward with that. But right now, the market sentiment is that the A's are a little bit overvalued and money has come in against them here this week against the Diamondbacks. We saw a big swing on Tuesday in the line between the Rays and the Yankees. Blake Snell, Masahiro Tanaka in that one. The markets are and always have been Pretty high on Blake Snell. They were right in this case. Snell got bet into a clear favorite at Yankee Stadium against Tanaka. And Tanaka's got great career numbers against Tampa Bay. Um, Again, obviously, team versus pitcher stats are not statistically significant enough to be factored into your handicap. But I'm sure there were people, touts out there, that sold the game based on Tanaka's numbers against the Rays and all of that. That just speaks to the fact that it doesn't matter. It's about this year. It's about where the pitchers are at and where the teams are at right now. And the market liked the Rays and Snell, and that one did come through for those that got in on the underdog turned favorite. So a pretty high price on Kenta Maeda on Tuesday. Brewers took the money with Corbin Burns on the bump. The Twins walked it off. Maeda took a no-hitter into the ninth inning. Maybe there's not going to be a whole lot of value on Kenta Maeda going forward because Look, the Twins have made those necessary arsenal adjustments that I've talked about a lot in my picks and tips piece. Maeda's pitching at a very high level right now, and the Twins' offense is not doing anything, and they're still winning games. So Kenta Maeda prices are pretty big right now. I'm not sure that's going to change here anytime soon. Wednesday, once again, we saw raise money, this time a fade of Garrett Cole. The market's a little bit skeptical of Garrett Cole, who has had... A little bit of a tough time ramping up his velocity at this point in time. I think, to me, that was just a bet on Tyler Glass now, who has not pitched as well as expected here in the early going. But it seems like there's a good bit of belief out there in the Rays, although money has come in on the Yankees here for Thursday. Heavy Boston Red Sox fades on Tuesday and Wednesday against the Phillies. And Look, at this point in time, the markets are selling any and all Red Sox stock. I mean, this is a team that, you know, despite Wednesday's win, looks disinterested. They're having team meetings. Uh, nobody can get outs for this pitching staff. It's a problem for them. And the markets are selling that Boston stock. 
at some point we'll get to a scenario where Boston actually has value. But by that point in time, you know, they're going to be so buried in the standings that it'll be very hard to bet on them. I also on Wednesday, we saw money come in against Lance Lynn. That was the Rangers and the Padres there in that one. Not a big surprise. Lance Lynn, ERA around one, FIP in the mid threes. That's a hallmark of a line move out there in the betting market. Money did come in against Lance Lynn. The Padres walked it off on Manny Machado's Grand Slam. But a good effort from Chris Paddock, and that was nice to see. Paddock has struggled facing the Dodgers. He's faced them twice and the Diamondbacks twice. Paddock is a guy with a limited arsenal. Fastball changeup primarily. Teams that see him a lot have the book on him now. Teams that haven't seen him a lot don't. So when Paddock pitches interleague starts here this year and next year when he faces non-NL West opponents, I think that's when you want to try to buy Chris Paddock. But the big story on Wednesday was that fade of Lance Lynn, and I would expect to see that again in Lance Lynn's next start. As I mentioned here on Thursday, we've got James Paxton money coming in on the Yankees. That's a fade of the Rays. We're going with opener John Curtis and then bulk man Trevor Richards. So Paxton taking the money there in that one. Also seen some pretty heavy Herman Marquez and Rockies money against Christian Javier and the Astros. I think this one is the modeling crowd adjusting the number to Alex Bregman probably being out. Bregman left yesterday's game, hobbled off the field, kind of pulled up lane going to second base. He's probably out at least for tonight. I think that's more about the market accounting for Bregman's loss than it is anything about Marquez or Javier in that one. Couple big favorites taking some money here. Shane Bieber against the Pirates and Trevor Williams. Clayton Kershaw against the Mariners and Yusei Kikuchi. I think that this may be something that the market has kind of picked up on a little bit in that favorites are starting to have more success, and in particular, big favorites having more success over the last week. The ball is not dead anymore, so the better offenses are going to put up more numbers. The better starting pitchers will have more success in this new run environment. So I think that's a big part of it here with the Bieber steam with the Kershaw steam in those big favorite roles here today. So a move on the Brewers and Brandon Woodruff against the Minnesota Twins. I like Brandon Woodruff. That's my play here, one of my plays here for today on the baseball betting board. Woodruff and the Brewers over Jose Barrios and the Twins. Not getting the best of the number, obviously, but you know what? That's what happens when you write a 5,000-word article in the morning on Major League Baseball. You don't always get the best prices, And I don't want to bet something I can't give to my readers. So I wait until I'm just about ready to post that article to make those plays, to lock them in, so that I wind up getting the same numbers that I hope the early readers of that article are able to get. I would expect the Padres line to come down a little bit here today. That's Denilson Lamott against Kyle Gibson and the Rangers. I think Lamott's lines are just a little bit too high right now. He's an ERA to fit progression candidate, a minor one at that, but I think his numbers are just a little bit too high right now. So I do think that line will move down throughout the day. Uh, Not that I'm going to step in front of him, but just one of the things that I kind of took notice of. Sonny Gray taking money against the Cardinals. That's Adam Wainwright going for St. Louis. Cincinnati coming back with the doubleheader yesterday. I like the first five under in that game with Gray and Wainwright. Uh, But Sonny Gray taking money, as he has for most of his starts here, 
uh, over the course of the last two seasons. Lastly, sometimes the moves you don't see are the ones that stand out. And I've mentioned this philosophy before, and I'm not seeing a move here to this point with Arizona and Oakland. Now, as I just mentioned, Oakland feels overvalued in the market based on the line moves against them over the last couple of days. But Sean Manaya has a high ERA and a low FIP. And also Alex Young, who's getting the start for the Diamondbacks, is left-handed. So we've got the ERA and FIP discrepancy that typically induces a line move. We've got Oakland against the lefty, and this line has not gone up. I took Arizona for the first five here, not necessarily because of that, but it did catch my attention that we didn't see that overnight Manaya move with the high ERA and the low FIP. We'll see what happens in this game. We'll see what happens throughout the day. But again, when you expect the line move to happen, if you follow the market closely, you will know when line moves are going to happen. If you don't get one, I think that says a lot more than the line move itself because the line move is almost inherent. It's almost going to happen no matter what when you get the high ERA and the lower FIP. When it doesn't happen, that's when it stands out to me. And that was a game where I expected a line move Haven't seen it yet. Maybe it happens throughout the day, but that was one that caught my attention here for Thursday. As I mentioned, I got some family stuff this weekend. Got a very busy time over the next 10, over the next two weeks, really. So I'm going to do everything I can with the article, trying to get it out in a timely manner, stuff like that. The early part of next week won't be a problem. The late part of next week will be. So just throwing that heads up out there to you right now here on today's show. And I will mention it. Uh, next week on the podcast as well. Reds and Cardinals. Sonny Gray, Adam Wainwright tonight. Anthony DiScofani, Dakota Hudson tomorrow. Wade Miley, Kwang Hyung Kim on Saturday. And then Tyler Mayle and Daniel Ponce de Leon on Sunday. DiScofani was tipping his pitches in his last outing. That was something they talked about immediately after he got shelled by the Pittsburgh Pirates. But some long layoffs for the Reds pitchers not named Sonny Gray in this series. Gray pitched last Friday against the Pirates. Then after the or in the ninth inning on Friday, the Reds found out that Nick Senzel had tested positive. Uh, then they had to go three, four days without playing. So DeScafani, Miley, and Mail have or Tyler Mail, yeah, Tyler Mail have not pitched on a regular turn. So there may there may be a little bit of rust there. We'll see what happens with this series. I do think the Reds take money tomorrow with that fade of Dakota Hudson. On Sunday, the Cardinals can load up left-handed bats against Mayo. Maybe a good spot to bet the Cardinals there. But the the lines will be interesting for this series because you have a Cardinals team still trying to get into rhythm after missing a bunch of time with all their COVID cases and the Reds with their pitchers on extended layoffs. So maybe I won't have too much going on in this series going forward, but still pretty interesting overall. White Sox and the Cubs here. Dallas Keuchel, John Lester on Friday. Dylan Cease, Kyle Hendricks Saturday, Gio Gonzalez, you Darvish on Sunday. I want to see what the prices look like for Hendricks and Darvish. I've talked about this at length already, and we saw Casey Mize pitch well yesterday against the White Sox. Any right-hander with stuff can shut down the White Sox offense. Hendricks and Darvish definitely have stuff. So I want to see what those lines look like because Dylan Cease – And Gio Gonzalez are not very popular guys in the betting markets. 
I want to find ways to bet the Cubs in those two games. We'll see if I get that opportunity, uh, but I'll be curious to see what those prices look like. And also watch for a fade of John Lester on Friday. Right-handed heavy lineup against the left-handed Lester. Low swing and miss rate for Lester so far. Regression signs all over the place. Keuchel probably takes some money for Chicago, uh, for the White Sox, excuse me, on Friday. Twins and Royals here. Jake Odorizzi, Danny Duffy, Friday. Randy Dobnak, Brady Singer, Saturday. Kenta Maeda and Chris Bubik on Sunday. The Twins have the Indians on deck. And look, no offense to the Royals, but those are the two preeminent teams in the Central. And the White Sox have been up and down. You know, they've been good. They've been bad. But the Twins and the Indians have this rivalry because they're going head-to-head right now for the top of that division. So I wonder if there's a little bit of a look-ahead factor on Sunday for the Twins, in particular with Maeda on the mound where he's been so good, so reliable. The games between these two teams have been lower scoring than you would expect because the Twins' offense just isn't really hitting. You know, the Twins made a ton of hard contact last year, hit a lot of home runs. The Royals make a lot of hard contact this year and some hard contact last year with guys like Soler. But these these games have not been high scoring. So I want to see, excuse me, what this totals market looks like for this series. One thing that is interesting is Saturday, Brady Singer making his third straight start against the Minnesota Twins. And I believe it's only the sixth start of his MLB career. So Brady Singer in a tough spot, not the deepest of arsenals, could be a situation on Saturday where the Twins are a pretty good look. Finally, the Phillies and the Braves. Aaron Nola, Max Freed on Friday. Zach Wheeler, Robbie Erlin on Saturday. Zach Eflin, Josh Tomlin on Sunday. Phillies with this great offensive pace here so far. The Braves fighting off a lot of adversity. But the big thing about this series is the Braves have that very, very large bullpen advantage in all three games. I want to see what the lines look like in this series. This is Sunday Night Baseball. I believe Philly stays on the road for Monday. I'll have to double check that, but I always look at that angle too. You know, you play late on Sunday, then you got to go somewhere else on Monday. That's always kind of an interesting little angle. Maybe not this year with the limited travel, but still something that I kind of always try to pick up on a little bit. Let's see what this Braves offense does. Getting Nola, getting Wheeler with some of their injuries, all that type of thing. But again, the Braves have that big bullpen advantage. Could be some good live betting opportunities in that series. I'll be back once again on Monday with a new edition of the Betters Box. Going to do everything I can here over the next few days to get that baseball article out to you in a timely manner with a high level of detail, but with some family obligations here this weekend, maybe a little bit tougher to do that. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.